Hello and welcome to the Caspi.kz fourth quarter and full year 2022 financial results conference call. My name is Harry and I'll be your operator today. To ask a question during Q&A, please use the raise hand button on your Zoom toolbar or dial star one if you're joining us over the phone. It's now my pleasure to hand you over to David Ferguson to begin. David, please go ahead whenever you're ready. Great. Uh, thank you, Harry. Good afternoon or good morning, everyone. I'm David Ferguson from Caspi. Welcome to our fourth quarter and full year 2022 results. As usual, on the call with me, I have our CEO, Mikhail Lomtata, our deputy CEOs, uh, Tengiz Masitsi and Yuri Didenko. As usual, we will go through, Mikhail will take you through the strategic highlights, I'll take you through the financial highlights and guidance, and then we'll open the floor up to Q&A, the entire team are available to take your questions. So on that note, I'd like to hand over to Mikhail. Mikhail, over to you. Hello, everyone. So um, <clears throat> pleased to present uh, the last full year and the fourth Q uh, uh, numbers. And yeah. The slides, we don't have them on the screen. Can anyone, the, the slides are showing on my side. Really? Well, I don't see them. Sorry, can you just confirm, can participants see the slides or not? Uh, yes, confirming that the slides are currently being shared. Okay, let me see. Don't think is I don't know, I don't see the slides on my screen unfortunately. But I can do it from my paper presentation. So slide number uh number two. So our uh performance has been uh very strong through the last year and the fourth Q uh specifically so the team has done a great job in uh, in the execution. So as you can see, our uh, uh, payments uh, business has grown uh, RTPV in 53% year over year. Uh, the the revenue has grown uh, also 53% fast, and then net income because of operating leverage 60% up year over year. The marketplace GMV you know 60% year over year accelerating. In the fourth quarter, revenue 67% and net income 68%. And our fintech business continued good growth with a TFT of 27%, revenue 27%, and net income 7%. Our consolidated business, you know, has grown net income on 37% and the revenue 40%. So this is the set of an extraordinary results and uh, subject to, to the shareholder approval, we also have a 610 gap or GDR dividend recommended uh, to for payments to the shareholders. Uh, obviously, the next slide. Uh, obviously, the the Caspi uh, uh, Zuma has been uh, fueling our uh, our business uh, really well. So we have uh, launched Caspi Zuma last uh, year after the you know COVID break. Uh, so the growth has been extraordinary. So two, two events during the year. Just to remind everyone, it's actually a three, it's actually a three day, uh, three day event. Uh, and the three day event, uh, 
you know, which is six days for the total for the for the two events, uh, almost 14% of our total GMV, and this is uh, is a truly nationwide uh, uh, shopping event, which uh, uh, has been created by uh, Caspi KZ. Uh, and and uh, what is also remarkable, the second event actually grew 47% compared to the to the July event, and we're talking about several months difference between those two. So really excited. Uh, and very strong performance. The next slide on the on the guidance. So as you can see, uh, our team has uh, one again, uh, pretty much uh, exceeding uh, the guidance uh, on the back of uh, extraordinary execution. So uh, I'm not going to really go through every single of those uh, of those numbers, but you know, very importantly, the GMV, you know, RTPV uh, growth. Uh, you know, net income margin numbers, uh, adjusted net income, uh, very importantly. I mean, we have exceeded the, the guidance in 2022. So another proof how execution-driven is the management team of, uh, of Caspi. Uh, in terms of the split of the, of the profitability, so the payments and the marketplace businesses are growing uh, fast, uh, and therefore, you know, taking the increasing share of our bottom line, so we have 59% of our bottom line now is coming from the payments in the marketplace. So we're really excited about this, and you know we, we believe that uh, the diversified, uh, providing diversified uh, sources of revenue, net income, you know, different type of businesses really is a, is extremely a very important competitive advantage of Caspi. Next slide is just to take step back. We we have a lot of new investors, and just to remind everyone. The business model of Caspi. So we have two products uh, or, or two super apps. So one super app is for consumers, another super app is for merchants. Uh, both apps are extremely unique in, in actually in every uh, comparison to any other example in the world. Uh, so consumers on a on a on a on a Caspi KZ super app, you know, they can they can do pretty much everything in, around their regular daily needs right so they can uh, they can manage their personal finance they can make payments they can transact in stores they have access to wealth of government services they have uh, ability to order items with a free delivery through the e-commerce uh, they can uh, get items out of the customer the, uh, they can uh, do a p2p bill payment transactions uh, so really a, a very uh, a very wide range of the of the products and e-grocery is one of the latest sort of additions to our uh, to our consumer super app alongside with the government services uh, and travel and then the merchant super app which is the Caspi Pay we're replicating the success and the knowledge of 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 Caspi KZ consumer super app and now you know our merchants can uh, can can accept the payment they can have access to government services they can pay taxes We've just created the, uh, the service. You can actually file your tax reports, uh, B2B payments, uh, instant invoicing, uh, and we've also launched last year cash register when you can actually, uh, provide the, you know, the doc, uh, the online seamlessly, the receipt, uh, sort of uh, fiscal receipt, uh, for, uh, both cash and cashless payments. So you know, very exciting, uh, products which will actually grow in, in scope over coming years. But what is even more important is not just a standalone type of apps, but actually 
that we are creating these two sort of shoots of the products, but how we actually connect. Because we believe that by connecting consumer to merchant, we create more value for both, for consumers and for merchants, and also create very strong network effect and competitive advantages. So things which connect both is the payment network, uh, is a marketplace where we enable sellers to buy and 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 and, and consumers to uh, sorry sellers to sell and consumers to buy delivery services when you can trade across the whole country uh, uh, in, and then financing uh, both on the consumer side and the merchant side increasing the share of wallet ability to 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 purchase items but also for businesses to develop their business and then marketing services again highly personalized advertising when merchants can reach right users so really uh, the, 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 the power of our business model is not just a super app strategy, but also how we connect both to each other. If we look at the potential that we currently have, we uh, uh, traditionally show the cohorts in our annual uh, presentation. So you can see that, uh, you know, RTPV continues very strong, uh, 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 very strong uh, growth. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, there is no, uh, sign of the of the slowdown so again uh, you know more merchants more users more transactions per consumer more transactions per merchants is driving the growth uh, uh, for the for the rtpv and obviously we're creating more opportunities to transact as we add more verticals uh, uh, over time uh, the same on the marketplace so you could actually see that uh, you know differently from many other e-commerce and marketplaces in the in, in the world actually we are accelerating our growth post-COVID. Uh, so that's again tells you how resilient our business model is. And as we continue adding more merchant and increasing the SKUs, uh, adding more uh, diversified uh, payment options, uh, especially on the merchant side of things, uh, we see actually acceleration of GMV on our on our cohort. So we, we see both strong user acquisition, but also more transactions and the more growth uh, per consumer in uh, in our marketplace business. Uh, then if you go into the another dimension, which is the penetration of different consumer products uh, per user. So you can actually see that we have, a, uh, we have a, a wide range of the products, and some of them are in early stage, like e-grocery, extremely early stage. Some of them, <clears throat> like P2P, are, uh, are instruments when we have completed the build-out of the users. However, we continuously drive transactions and we drive engagement. <clears throat> Again, to take a step back, our strategy is always build the foundation <clears throat> with consumers, build foundation with users, bring the network effects, bring, uh, build the network effects, and then build more business around the merchants and consumers. Actually, any of those products are really growing fast, but they're a different stage of this strategy and execution by our team. And then if you look at the number of merchants, you know, this sort of, uh, uh, the growth we have generated is really driven by the fact that we have been uh, uh, we have been building the merchant base. Uh, initially, we started with consumers. Now we've uh, uh, also built the the base for the for the merchant side of things. We have uh, uh, more than doubled the number of merchants during 2022. So really excited about it, and that obviously is driving the transaction. So more consumers have more merchants to transact at. As a result, you know we have strong growth across the across the board. Uh, if we look at the at the infrastructure sort of building up, what we call is uh, is the POS network devices. So we have built this unique uh, 
foundation for also the future growth. Uh, now 92% of all the transactions are actually done uh, through the Caspi uh, KZ uh, POS network, and only 8% is done through the third-party acquiring. So we largely completed sort of building that side of the of the uh, of the infrastructure uh, for our business. And then if you look at the some of the new services which we're launching, the B2B is a, is extremely important part uh, of our business now. Uh, this business didn't exist at all uh, before, uh, about, you know, sort of a bit over a year ago. Uh, that's a service which connects the brands and the wholesalers and the, and the distributors to the convenience stores, to the, to the, to the smaller merchants. And the growth has been really healthy. We have grown more than 3.5 times in terms of the, in terms of the amount of the transactions and almost three times in terms of the number of transactions. And again, some of the leading brands are joining like Coca-Cola, you know, Pepsi, Nivea. So we're really exciting about this new business and we believe that's the foundation of another services which will follow our B2B strategy. Um, we have been also building another project, what we call infrastructure. That's a, that's a last mile delivery. So, uh, we didn't, Postumas didn't exist, uh, uh, basically a year ago. And now we have built the largest, uh, network of last mile delivery. Uh, so you have, you can see that we went virtually from zero to, you know, three point, almost 3.4 thousand, uh, postumats across the country. And now, uh, almost third of all our deliveries are done through the postumat. And, uh, if you look in terms of number of deliveries, then even mind bloating. So we almost, uh, you know, over 2 million uh, deliveries we have managed through the Postomat. Postomat is is not just only more efficient and cheaper uh, for us, but also it's uh, more environmental friendly, and we control the user experience, so it, the consumers are extremely happy, and we plan to uh, roughly double the number of Postomats during this year. Another business which went from zero to number one business in the country is airline and railway bookings. Uh, that business also didn't exist. Actually, uh, uh, I don't know, 18 months ago. <laughs> so now we are uh, uh, selling uh, over 3 million uh, airline and railway tickets in the fourth queue. Uh, so the growth has been almost two times in terms of GMV. So really very, very, very good example of, you know, how execution driven is our team is and, uh, and also we create the value for, uh, for airlines and the railway by, you know, helping them to digitalize, uh, the, the, the sales. So really very excited about this. And there is another addition, uh, to this business. So as we speak, actually uh, we're launching the package holidays. I've mentioned this briefly, I think last year in meeting some of our investors. Uh, that, that's another sort of big market for us, about billion dollars in the, in the GMV addressable market. Uh, we believe about million travelers. Uh, average ticket is about $1.5,000, which is a great size also for BNPL uh, opportunity. And we're launching with the three primarily destinations, which is the Turkey, Egypt, and, uh, uh, and uh, Emirates. And the take rate is also will be very attractive, uh, will be 8 to 10%. Uh, so we're launching uh, already. Uh, usually it's the first stage when we allow our, our employees to use it, and then we roll out nationwide. 
just to give you a bit of a uh, look into the user experience, how we have really organized, it's really straightforward. Uh, so we have, uh, um, you can basically search any tour in this destination. You can select the hotel, which is helped by uh, by the reviews and the ratings and the pricing. Uh, uh, and then uh, you can complete your transaction with our Caspi Gold payment or uh, or BMPL. Uh, and also very importantly, you know, we finalize <clears throat> our part of the of the transaction by giving you all the details of the tour and actually putting you in touch with with the, with the uh, agents or tour operators uh, that will help you on on the way. So really very excited about this opportunity. Uh, so we'll be uh, building that uh, this year. Another uh, uh, opportunity that uh, you know we are going uh, very uh, strategically about is e-grocery. So we're very excited about. The, probably the largest market that we have in front of us. Uh, so we're making investment into uh, rolling out nationwide uh, the e-grocery business across the country. If you look at the recent performance that we had, we have talked about e-grocery through the year. Uh, so this is not, uh, for us, is not uh, uh, just entirely new business, so we validated it. Uh, if you look at the e-grocery GMV, we have grown it eight times uh, during uh, uh, last uh, last year, uh, the number of purchases is, you know, already 668,000. We're talking mainly Almaty, a bit of an Astana, uh, so it's sort of two major cities. Um, but we're we're excited the way that the business has been built up. We're excited about the uh, the the trends that we have and the results that we achieved in uh, in Almaty and Astana already. So if you look at the kind of simple. Rationale from our side, you know, that we have the business, which is at least, you know, market of at least 12 billion in front of us. We have Gaspi KZ, who has, a, you know, technology, who has a, uh, <clears throat> the ability to design this remarkable user experience, but also a lot of operational experience on on this type of uh, businesses. And then we have a Magnum uh, partner who is the largest food retail uh, network in the country, and they have extraordinary food retail experience. Uh, and we also are building on the back of already proven kind of validated business model, especially in Almaty. Uh, the highlights of this investment, around 70 billion tenge will invest over the course of next three years. That will be an investment to build the infrastructure, again, the dark stores, and uh, also provide the uh, uh, working capital. 90% stake in a Magnum e-grocery, uh, and we'll retain uh, a brand Magnum because it's the number one brand in the country. And we are, again, just to repeat myself, really excited about this partnership when we can one plus one will equal three kind of partnership. And then we'll fund the investment. Uh, investment will fund the growth and the regional uh, expansion. Just to give you a bit of a highlight on what I mean under the uh, first dark, uh, dark store in uh, in Almaty is basically, I don't know if, uh, I don't know any example in any other parts of the of the world when, you know, within the whatever four or five quarters, you can break even. And this is just example of the how we have achieved in Almaty on the first dog store. So it's a bit of positive in the fourth queue. We have, uh, and with a store utilization of uh, 65%, we've increased the gross margin to 30%. Just also by managing strategically the assortment. Um, 
So yeah, so that's business, huge market, validated business model, and we're really excited to uh, to roll it up. Just to give you a bit also uh, overview of the process itself. Um, uh, again, uh, you start from the marketplace, so you really have a dedicated button on our on our front page. Uh, you have a catalog of different items. Uh, we are going actually from uh, from consumer sort of. Uh, FMCG type of goods, but also fresh. Uh, uh, then you select the products, and ex- extremely importantly, that you also actually would, uh, can select the time slot when the item is delivered. And this has been a, a really important uh, feature which we've developed as we learn about this business. And then you obviously pay. Uh, but we have been able to validate the business model and economics, and we reached uh, around 25,000. 10 gear, so sort of $25 average ticket. So that makes a huge difference in economics. And all the orders uh, over 5,000 are delivered for free, which is about $11. So David, back to you. Okay, great. Thank you, Mikhail. So I'll run you all through the financial performance of each of the respective platforms, starting with uh, the payments platform. So As we've talked about consistently since the IPO, strategic objective has been to scale the merchant side of the ecosystem. And here, again, you you continue to see good results in that regard with the merchant base up 101% year on year. That's a function of of Caspi Pay. It's a function to a lesser extent of, of bill payments. These products continue to work and help us continue to grow the merchant base. This will inevitably uh, slow, uh, just as has happened on the consumer side of the equation. But what's important in 2023 and beyond, merchants will continue to shift more volumes to us driving our TPV. Similar message on the consumer side of the equation. Here, the growth is more modest, although still respectable, given that this is our most mature platform. But as Mikhail showed you in the cohort analysis, if we give consumers, whether that be new or old, more opportunities to pay, they will use these these services. And that drives our RTPV growth. With that in mind, RTPV growth has been strong and consistent uh, throughout the the, the year, finishing the fourth quarter at 53%, actually uh, in line with the full year. A trend. So this is important in the context of uh, the question around the health of the consumer. But what you can see here is that our payment business is indicative of the health of the consumer. Whether you're looking Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, you see a very, very similar trend and very, very strong trend throughout, both in RTPV or in number of of transactions. On the take rate side of the equation, 1.2% take rate both in the fourth quarter and for the full year. That is ahead of the guidance of around 1.1% that we gave you at the beginning of the year. But it is the function of timing as Caspi Pay at 95 bips and as Caspi B2B increase in the mix take rate mechanically comes down. Hence, the guidance for this year is take rate around 1.1%. And again, it's just a function of product mix. 
On the next slide, you can see here how RTPV payment mix continues to evolve. And I guess the takeaway here is that it's not just about offering uh, existing consumers and merchants more opportunities to pay, but we can also grow our entire addressable market. B2B was 1% of RTPV last year. Today, it's 3% of RTPV. That might not sound like a big number, but in the context, our RTPV is big. B2B, as Mikhail said, in the fourth quarter grew three and a half times. It will be additive to RTPV growth over the, the medium term. And more broadly, incidentally, uh, can just be the start of one of a long list of, of targeted merchant products, not just in payments that, that, that we can uh, develop. Interest-free balances in the fourth quarter increased 11% year-on-year for the full year. They were up 21% year-on-year. So that is actually slightly above the guidance that we've provided at the beginning of the year. But it's certainly the case that what has happened over the last 12 months is that interest rates have moved up. Caspi deposit is very, very popular. Caspi deposit interest rates are currently 15%. So there has been a relative switch in favor of consumers keeping funds in deposit versus their interest-free uh, wallet. That said, friends in line with our, our, our plan for 2022 and for 2023, uh, we expect robust growth in wallet balances of around 15% year on year. So to wrap up on payment uh, financials, that uh, fast and consistent RTPV growth combined with stable take rate throughout the year translated into fast and consistent and stable um, revenue growth through the, the year, up 53% in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter, up 54% for the full year. As has been the case in previous years with payments platform, you've got a combination of things on the cost side. We continue to eliminate third-party costs, Visa and, and MasterCard, as we move more volumes to our own network. We keep a tight control on costs, particularly uh, this year on sales and marketing. And that combined with just the inherent gearing that sits in this business model and remains intact going into 2003, drove margin progression both in the fourth quarter and more materially for the full year. Moving on to marketplace, just as the payments platform strategy was to grow number of payment merchants in turn, that drives growth in number of marketplace merchants. And here again, you see a very, very strong trend, up 159% year on year. Why do we do this? More merchants, more SKUs, we increase the breadth and depth of the product proposition, drives on the one hand more consumers, on the other hand more transactions per consumer, and here you see decent growth in the number of consumers, up 28% year-on-year to 6.1 million, but with still more upside potential as we go forward. Looking at then GMV trends on the back of that uh, here, um, you see that GMV was strong, up 61% in the fourth quarter. Uh, up 81% for the, the, the full year. Actually, again, indicative of the health of the consumer marketplace for the, the year as a whole, outperformed the guidance that we provided. 
and given the scale of our marketplace and its relevance across all areas of consumer spending from grocery to uh, travel to consumer electronics, it gives you a pretty good snapshot of how the consumer was feeling for the year, and particularly in the fourth quarter. Take rate for the year stable, 8.2%. So I think this is important because I remember a lot of discussions around Q1 where the take rate was down year on year and investors asking around that. I think the message here is that, number one, you need to look it over a longer period of time. There can be volatility from a quarter on quarter basis. And overall, you've got sort of two dynamics going on here. The, the benefit of our promotional activity, particularly cheap Juma, drives take rate up, offset by lower take rate businesses such as travel and grocery. But if you take that and again, you look at the guidance that we're giving for 2023, the long run trend is that the take rate continues to be stable or going forward to, to move up despite these sort of lower take rates part of the, the, the mix. M-Commerce continues just delivering good numbers. This has been a very, very consistent trend now for several years. Number of purchases up 37%, GMV up 60%, so higher ticket size in M-Commerce. Take rate stable uh, for the, the, the year, up in the fourth quarter, uh, slightly, again, linked to promotional activity. But overall, a very, very strong performance throughout the year from, from marketplace. And then when we look at e-commerce, what is important to, to take out here is that e-commerce performance has consistently accelerated throughout the, the year. So GMV growth of 57% in the fourth quarter was the strongest quarter of the, the year. Q2 was up 32%, sorry, Q3 was up 32%, Q2 was up 23%. So you can see here that in this part of the business, the run rate has been very strong into the, the, the end of the year. We've talked previously about the divergence between number of purchases and GMV. So again, we focused on particularly adding more merchants in e-commerce, more SKUs to drive more transactions per consumer and just to embed our sort of long-term competitive advantage. But over time, you will see that these numbers move closer to, to, together. Good performance from e-commerce particularly at the end of the, the, the year. Reiterates the point really here, you can see quite dramatically the increase in SKUs. It gives you a good sense how we've strengthened. It's not the only area we've strengthened market e-commerce's proposition, but it is one area. Um, SKUs increasing 1.9 times over the course of the year. So we increase the depth and breadth, the relevance of this proposition to all consumers with good results. Here too, this will change going forward and we'll focus on less on adding more merchants, less on adding more SKUs and more just on helping the existing merchants sell more. This is where uh, products like advertising and logistics and merchant financing become particularly uh, relevant, but that's more going forward than, than what you're looking at in 2022. Another area where we strengthen the consumer merchant proposition of e-commerce is free consumer delivery. There's a cost to this. It's an investment. Uh, but the, 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 the return is quite clear, both in growth in merchants, merchant onboarding, and in, in terms of consumers adopting uh, delivery. Now 95% of orders are delivered, 46% of, order, of those orders are delivered within two days. And you've seen here quite a 
substantial increase in volumes up 241% year on year. So that's material, but going forward, higher volumes help us improve the unit costs, the, the economics of delivery, making it more affordable for our, our merchants. On travel, still very, very strong growth here at the top line. Take rate moving up, that just reflects a change in mix. Rail is a higher take rate than uh, flights. Going forward, growth will remain strong, but as Mikhail talked about, you'll get the added upside as tours start to, to kick in. It will be more in the second half of this year than the first half of the year, but tours will be uh, GMV additive to, to travel and will also be substantially take rate additive to, to travel as well over the medium term. So tours additive to, to travel, travel additive to marketplace GMV still um, going going forward. Here you see how the, the, the mix has, has changed, travel becoming more important in the, the mix, although you should bear in mind that in the fourth quarter, uh, that is a seasonally softer quarter for, for, for travel, and it's a seasonally more important quarter for, for, for e-commerce. So as you go into the first half of the year, you'll see travel increases in the mix and e-commerce moves down, but it's just a reflection of normal seasonality. Wrapping up marketplace financials here, uh, you saw strong GMV growth, stable take rate. Therefore, that translated into very similar trends at the revenue line with, again, the fourth quarter being the strongest for marketplace. Investment in free delivery is a cost. Uh, that does mute margin upside. But despite the substantial investment we've, we've made in delivery, you can see here that margins remain very, very solid for the, fourth quarter, for the full year. And actually, despite the investment in the fourth quarter, marketplace margin moved up once, once again. So, again, both on the top line and the bottom line marketplace, finishing the year in very uh, in a very strong position. Moving on to the fintech side of the business, we focused strategically this year on growing the deposit base, recognizing the opportunity to take deposit market share. I mentioned earlier that Cassidy Deposit is a popular product, and you see very strong growth in deposit customers at a faster rate than in loan customers, deposit customers up 35%, loan customers up uh, 15%. Has been benefited from very strong market-leading deposit inflows over the course of the year. Part of that is the attractiveness of our deposit account, but part of that is just the attractiveness, attractiveness of, of the full suite of services. At the, first, at the first quarter and during the first half of the year, we talked about scaling back origination TFV in response to economic volatility and uncertainty. Approval levels have been back to business as normal since the summer, and you've seen that we've ramped up acceleration in the third and fourth quarters. Again, you can take this as indicative that the, that the trends we see amongst our consumer base are, are healthy and robust going forward. Another area you can assess, sort of think about credit quality, is in terms of conversion. That's been stable throughout the, the year. So that tells you that consumers are borrowing, repaying, repaying early at exactly the same rates that has been the case over the, over the year and broadly similar 
with the, the long-term trend. So consumer repayment activity, as evidenced by conversion rate, remains very, very healthy. Strategically, we've always talked about growing BMPL share of mix. You see that continue to play out. It will have been boosted by Juma. One of the components of Juma is, is BMPL um, in the, the fourth quarter. What you also now see is that merchant financing, which is a similar product, similar type product, uh, but aimed at merchants, uh, is, is now also becoming more material in the mix, and that will continue into 2023, where you should see merchant finance take another step up in terms of its importance. These products are all low risk, short duration, um, whether we're talking about BMPL or we're talking about merchant financing. Low risk, short duration, but also lower yielding, and that's the reason for the decline in yield, both in the fourth quarter and for the full year. That decline in yield is consistent with the guidance that we provided at the beginning of the year and the trend and consistent with the guidance that we are providing for 2023. As we've attracted deposit inflows, uh, particularly towards the end of the year, the loan to deposit ratio has fallen uh, to 79%. Going forward, more deposit customers, more deposits will enable us to drive more origination, more TFE over the medium term, and you'll see that that ratio gradually moves up over the medium term horizon. Looking at um, credit quality, this has been a question that understandably has came up consistently uh, throughout the year. If you look at first and second payment default rates, if you look at uh, delinquency rates, what you see is uh, whilst there can be volatility on a quarterly basis, the long run trend is that these uh, levels remain very, very low and actually can broadly consistent with um, the, the long, long run trend. Credit quality as a whole remains very, very healthy, both in terms of origination and in terms of collection. Ultimately, the best measure of how we originate and how we collect is cost of risk. Uh, we started the year guiding for cost of a risk um, around 2%. We finished the year with cost of risk of, of, of 1.9%, but with the fourth quarter at 1.6%, which was the strongest of the, 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 the year. Uh, additional macro provisions that we put through at the end of the first quarter were fully amortized. You see that being completed in the fourth quarter, as we as we talked about and expected to happen earlier on in the, the, the year. And again, we continue to guide cost of risk this year around 2%, i.e. we expect broadly similar credit quality trends in 2023. On MPLs, underlying MPLs of 5.9% have been stable uh, since uh, last summer. What has happened is, well, we consistently aim to improve origination. We consistently aim to improve uh, collections. When we write off uh, debt, we continue to pursue collection. That's, that's, that's always been the case. But what has increasingly happened is that we've got better at collecting previously written off debt. 
So in 2021, we wrote after 761 days. As we've got better at collecting longer overdue debt, we're now writing off at 1,080 days. That, that, that improvement in collections meant, means that we've recovered. We've bought back on balance sheet, uh, previously written off loans to the equivalent of 27 billion tenge. But that is, that increases MPLs to 6.3%, but is ultimately indicative of a better ability, uh, to collect. Going forward for this year, we'd expect MPLs to remain stable at 6% or, or slightly lower than, than that. So to wrap up on our fintech financials, what you are seeing particularly in the fourth quarter, you're the impact of lower origination in the first half of the year combined with lower yield throughout the year results in softer revenue growth, although still very decent, 27% in the fourth quarter versus 32% for the full year. But the real impact of, uh, is, is on the, the, the bottom line where what certainly did happen last year is higher funding costs. Again, that that cost has driven more deposit customers, more deposit inflows, but it impacts, it negatively impacts fintech profitability. In the fourth quarter, funding costs were up uh, 95% year on year. They were up 62% year on year for the full year. So that does have an impact on profitability, even with the partial offsets of lower provisioning and uh, lower sales and marketing uh, costs year on, on year. The key takeaway on this, though, is that, that 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 margin pressure is cyclical, not structural. And as interest rates normalize, we'd expect those deposit customers and their funds to stay with us, but to have the ability to drive more origination, at lower cost and hence margin recovery over the, the medium term. That's the, the wrap up overall of the financials. I think ultimately we finished the year with with very, very strong trends, um, particularly in payments and marketplace. 40% top line in the fourth quarter consistent with the full year. Uh, 30% bottom line growth slightly higher than the full year uh, trend. And broadly state, slight, stable margins down slightly year on year. So in terms of 2023 guidance, I won't through, run through this line by line, but I think the simple message here is that each platform, whether it be payments marketplace or fintech, we continue to expect very strong top line trends. Pricing trends, I take rates a year or year again are consistent with what you saw in 2022. And whilst investment, ongoing investment in um, free consumer delivery in marketplace and in e-grocery in marketplace will have some profitability there. We are investing in marketplace for the future. This is what keeps the GMV uh, growth strong for longer. And again, I reiterate the point on the fintech side of the equation, higher interest rates are helping us attract more consumers, more funding. This will ultimately help us drive more origination, more transactions over the medium term. There is a short term impact on profitability, but that short term impact is, is, is that just that short term cyclical rather than um, structural margins 
will recover as interest rates normalize. Meanwhile, credit quality remains as strong as ever. Well positioned to finish, to, 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 to have a good year in 2023 and extract bottom line net income growth of around 25%. So on that note, I'll pause. Uh, Harry, I'll pass the line to you so we can open the call. Thank you. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question and you've joined us via Zoom, please use the raise hand button on your Zoom toolbar. And if you're dialing in over the phone, please dial star one on your telephone keypad now. So that's the raise hand button if you join us via Zoom or star one if you're joining us over the phone. And we'll just leave a moment for any questions to come in. Great. And our first question is from the line of Gabor Kimini of Autonomous. Gabor, please unmute locally and proceed to the question. Yeah, thank you, um, and thanks for the presentation. Um, I have a few questions, firstly, on, on, on the fintech, and I'd like to uh, pick up on your point, David, that, uh, that, that you mentioned that the rate cycle um, – I mean, there's some temporary developments here. So, so firstly, what is the interest rate outlook embedded in your in your 2023 guidance, uh, and uh, and what how do you expect funding costs uh, to develop uh, specifically? And the follow on from that, um, I think you mentioned the 15% rate you pay on new deposits uh, these days. I I, I reckon. Um, I, th- uh, I reckon the buy now pay later financing came with a similar uh, yield um, uh, in, in, the, in the past period. So, um, how um, are you planning to, to accommodate um, the, the, the pricing of this uh, of this product to, to a higher rate environment? Um, are, you, are you planning any, any changes there, uh, Gabo? Thanks for your uh, questions. <coughs> I'll just take the second one and then I'll pass it over to, to, to Mikhail on the longer term outlook. But what you should bear in mind, well, you know the guidance for this year on yield. I wouldn't think about any one individual product. You know, overall, um, the yield guidance is around 25%. What you should also bear in mind is that just short of a third of the funding comes from deposit accounts, which are interest free, at 0%. So the current rate on 10 gay deposits is 15%. That's the main source, although not the only one of funding. But also you should bear in mind that we have interest-free deposits where, which, which cost us uh, 0%. The guidance implies the current rate of interest. So if funding costs change over the course of the year, we'll adjust the, the guidance accordingly. In terms of the longer term outlook on funding costs, I don't know. Mikhail, do you have any, any, any view to add there? Uh, well, I think you've, you've pretty much responded. I can just uh, take a step back and, again, just reinforce what we have talked on the last conference call as well, our strategy. Our strategy is uh, we, we have a long-term strategy, and we invest into consumer relationship always. And we know that that investment into consumer relationship, merchant relationship, uh, it will eventually pay back. And uh, and therefore the interest rates went from whatever you know nine eight nine percent to fifteen percent 
over a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, for next year, we basically are, uh, uh, for our next year, year guidance, we basically are thinking in, in terms of, of being in the same interest rate environment. But when we think about the interest rates will go down, you know, then we will be beneficiaries of this, but also we'll have a much larger user base. But, uh, you know, we're not, this year we're not predicting a dramatic reduction uh, in 2023 and our guidance, therefore, based on, on the current interest rates. Okay, I think that is that is clear. Thank you. And just another question I had on how much room uh, you see for share buybacks, uh, given the, um, I guess the, um, I guess the limited liquidity of the shares, and what are your latest thoughts on um, a, a, a possible US IPO, please? Okay, so maybe I'll take those two, um, Gabriel. So the simple answer is absolutely nothing has changed either in regard to how we think about capital allocation or in terms of what we'd like to achieve in terms of particularly improving liquidity on the exchange. So on the first capital allocation, I think our track record at returning cash, whether that be in the form of a dividend or buyback to shareholders, uh, is, 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 is pretty, speaks for itself. Um, in terms of buybacks, we've been consistently in the market now over the pretty much every day give or take for the last uh, year. Um, going forward, again, nothing has really changed in that regard. We have cash. We stand ready to uh, make buybacks subject to market conditions, subject to liquidity, and we'll continue just to watch. We can move quickly. We'll watch and see how things evolve over the next uh, couple of months. On the second, on the exchange, we've talked about this before. We would like to see have a more liquid stock, which likely means a change of exchange. That was impossible last year due to market conditions. Like everyone else, we're watching market conditions closely. We hope this year will be better. If it is, we can move very quickly. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Mikhail Butkoff of Goldman Sachs. Mikhail, please unmute locally and proceed. Um, good day. Um, thank you very much for the presentation and the detailed guidance for the year ahead. My first question is on marketplace. You guide for a 35% GMV growth in 2023. Can you maybe provide some color what, um, what is the mix between the new customers and growth in purchases for older customer cohorts do you expect? Because it is interesting, if we look at the page number 10 of the presentation, it looks like that the new customers mature quite fast and um, both old and new uh, customer cohorts have broadly similar similar level of GMV. So how much more potential for growth um, do you see for the existing uh, customers? I'm interested to ask. Uh, thank you. It's the first question. Uh, Mikhail, do you want to? Talk about longer-term growth potential for marketplace consumers. Yes, true. I mean, in terms of our, in terms of our, uh, the the way we really operate is, uh, we you know that uh, we we have this unique situation when we are constantly adding new verticals, we're constantly expanding SKUs. We have dramatically increased number of offerings on our marketplace and we also entering the new categories and we also acquire the consumers. So from that perspective, I think you don't really have to become sort of the rocket scientist and 
very granular in, in analysis, which is growing across the board. And the reason why the, the, the cohorts, the earlier, you know, later cohorts starting from, uh, from a more GMV, just because we have a more assortment, right? So, but in terms of the, you know, purchasing of the consumers, we basically see uh, the consumers uh, uh, very active across all our, all our verticals. Uh, so I wouldn't be breaking down the consumers into new or old. You know, they are actually buying the same type of uh, items in, as we constantly expand those items and we constantly expand the basket, uh, basically, of, uh, of offering for a consumer. On, t- on top of the fact that delivery is is driving a lot of uh, a lot of growth as well, right? Because now we have this uh, the last mile <clears throat> network, which is the the largest and the only probably in, in in the country, which is hugely convenient for smaller ticket purchases as well. Uh, so again, this is just a reflection of the fact that the sortiment is growing really fast, the number of merchants growing as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for this answer. The second question is on the on some release of the macro provisions. Just wanted to clarify. Um, do 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 I understand it correct that you you release some macro provisions and you expect some NPLs to be collected uh, uh, later on the back of that? Just wonder why um, didn't you um, reflect the income which you will receive from those samples at the factual point of time of collection and um, release it in advance, if I understood that uh, correctly. So uh, I'm not sure the two are connected. So on the macro provisioning, we put through uh, macro provisioning through the P&L in the first quarter of 2022. That was amortized throughout the course of the year and has been fully amortized. So that's one, that's sort of um, the first thing. Then second and unrelated to to that, the decision to bring previously written off debt back on balance sheet is just that this is this is a, a balance sheet transaction rather than a P&L transaction. If that um, debt is subsequently repaid, then there'll be a netting effect in the cost of risk. But at this stage, it's just bringing debt that's off balance sheet back on balance sheet. There's no P&L implications uh, for that. And incidentally, um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 not nothing. That's nothing new. Okay. Okay. And and the last question is uh, just on the buyback. Um, previously, you, when you were asked on the, on the reasons for the buyback, you mentioned the valuation for the stock. Look at, looking at, uh, comparing the stock price today and when, uh, the buyback began, it is, it looks quite differently. So maybe, yeah, what, what's, uh, what, what, can you provide any new color here on, on the reasons and, uh, um, on the reasons and the outlook for, for the buyback with this regard. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I just say, Michael, it's not related to valuation. And in fact, again, I just make the point, absolutely nothing has changed. We have cash. And as we've written in the statement, we stand ready as subject to market conditions and subject to liquidity to make buybacks in the market. So while there's no specific news on, on, on that uh, today, or Openness to doing it in the future is no different to our openness three months ago, six months ago, 
or, 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 or 12 months ago. The only difference versus 12 months ago is that we've delivered better than expected numbers, and you can see that we've got a pretty strong outlook uh, for, 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 for next year. Nothing's really changed. I wouldn't overplay it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Sergey Dubin of Harding Lovner. Sergey, your line is now open if you'd like to proceed. Yeah, good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for the call. Congratulations on outstanding results. Two questions. Uh, the first regarding Magnum, JV, and, and your investment, and what are you going to be doing there? So when you say that it's um, roughly, I guess I calculated, $155 million over three years, do you count only CapEx in that, or is that OPEX and operating losses of the initial operating losses of these stores as they scale up? It's CapEx, but I'll pass maybe to Mikhail to talk more generally about sort of how he sees that investment playing out. So, Sergey, thank, thank you for your question. And thank you for congratulating us. You were the first one to congratulate us for the hard work we have delivered for our shareholders. Yeah, you definitely deserve that. So, <laughs> thank you. Now, in terms of the of the number, yeah, it's 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 all it's all in. It's basically everything related to the to this business, funding uh, both uh, uh, capital expenditures, which will be the majority of it, but also the working capital and the and the marketing if needed. Um, Okay, and uh, in terms of what you sort of would be doing versus Magnum in that partnership, because my, my impression was that so far you really, you know, you were handling sort of the, you know, front end, consumer facing front end, the web interface, right? And you were collecting your your sort of fee of the top, but it, this sounds like more heavy investment. Um, and, and who is going to be doing all the heavy lifting when it comes to Grocery in terms of deliveries, in terms of managing inventories, all the kind of stuff. Would that still be Magnum, or would you would you be more involved in that? Well, I mean, just first of all, to clarify, that's a, a standalone subsidiary for e-commerce business, uh, uh, which means that uh, that business unit uh, is uh, is actually everything around e-grocery, uh, just reinforced by by us. Uh, so the the the, the e-grocery unit itself is uh, is providing uh, you know if you think about now Gatsby so we are the ones that are delivering uh, and uh, uh, also the buying and storing so it's 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 a hundred percent control of the, of the value chain now we truly believe that uh, you know this is uh, we take this business extremely responsibly so it's you know, low margin business, uh, clearly. So we have to get things right. And, uh, and, uh, having this, uh, investment into this venture, but also having more control over the experience means that we can, we can bring, uh, up to requested level the customer experience, which we're looking at. So, so we have got increasingly comfortable during the year. And once we've, we've built the first case, uh, of a one dark store, broke it to basically brought it to the break even. We have the consumers which are just incredibly satisfied and we believe that now we can, if we double down both on technology side and operations, we can, uh, we can build this transformative business for the food retail, uh, like we have done for any other 
for any other industry. So it's, you can think of it as basically investment from Caspi now just to scale the, the business model, which we approved last year. Okay. Uh, and, and delivery would still be outsourced, I would guess, to third parties, right? So you would be managing um, this. It's kind of like essentially a e, you know, e grocery front end, e grocery back end, in a sense of, of uh, inventory plus all the capex that goes into the the boxes themselves, the stores. But, but the the last mile, the delivery would still be outsourced to uh, to these various third party companies, correct? Well, the way we manage, I mean, this is uh, this is the business which is uh, uh, highly repetitive. So, which means that it's, I mean, the excitement that we have from it is is that we have an an incredible retention of repeat consumers. So that actually means that you really have to have a, a very strong sort of you know operations behind it, which which we have built. Uh, Together with the with the Magnum last year, uh, the portion of the couriers are the couriers which you know we run. Significant portion is Uber type couriers which are employed for the specific uh, job. But at the end of the day, it's it's really a technology that is managing those couriers. What is important that in a grocery you have to the reason why the, the most important reason for a success in this business apart from the a reasonable ticket size is also that you deliver on promise for consumers. You deliver on time, you deliver high quality products, and therefore, you know, there is a more requirement on the delivery side than just on the e-commerce part of the of the business. So again, portion is almost like in full-time sort of people working. Portion is third-party contractors, Uber style employed for delivery. Okay, gotcha. And then last just to round up the discussion of that one. In, so you, you showed this uh, break-even analysis for one store in Almaty, which which obviously reached break-even in Q in fourth, you know, fourth quarter, which is quite quite remarkable. So would you expect more or less the same trajectory for all 15 locations? Because they, I take it they would go to big other, you know, other locations, Almaty as well as Astana, which is big cities, a lot of population, etc. So, so you would expect same economics for, or similar economics for the other stores you were rolling out in, in the country as well? Uh, yes. We, I mean, explain you the strategy. We are technology data-driven company, right? So what we always are going after is you know, most importantly is the satisfaction of consumers, the top line. And if we have a top line, the bottom line actually follows, and we know how to build a very efficient operation. So from that perspective, everything we do in our business, specifically in the grocery, it's all data-driven. I mean, we know exactly what, when, and in what uh, frequency or quantity at what price consumers will buy. So, you know, we are not... uh, our our growth is not coming just as a result of the capital expenditures, right? Of, of the of the footprint. Our growth is actually our capital expenditures on investments are following our growth. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this uh, in a simple in a simple <laughs> words, but we're not we're not. I mean, we hate wasting money. I mean, you have seen that's why we're business which is profitable, but also makes consumers extremely happy. Um, 
Okay, okay, that's fine. And then my second question is regarding uh, the the lending business or the lending side. So uh, one thing I would just maybe, Michael, if you can comment on. So so your cost of risk has been in a neighborhood of two or three percent, right? For for a long time now, and you um, you said that you'll write off the loans now in three years or a little bit under three years and you know, 1,080 days. So, so if you look at these two um, facts together, right, how would you explain, like, your, your MPL seem to be in the 6% range. Is there, like, any old MPLs that sit there? Like, why are, why aren't, they, aren't they more closely aligned to the cost of risk numbers? Well, I mean, uh, cost of risk is actually the combination of our, you know, both origination risk, our collection uh, processes and uh, things like that, right? And the NPL is just the balance sheet number, right? So from that perspective, you know, that's that's why we, we always prefer to think in terms of cost of risk and the vintages because that's, that's that's an important indication, and also the nature of our business, right? So we our average maturity is you know six seven months, and therefore you know that's basically we're turning our portfolio you know almost two times during the year, and and the most important number that we believe from the uh, from the cost perspective is actual cost of risk, and 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 the vintages. So if you uh, David, if you go to the uh, to the vintages slide. And, the, and there you, you see on the both, uh, you know, origination vintages, default vintages, uh, collection vintages. So, I mean, th- this is what basically is uh, is is, is uh, a reflection of cost of risk, right? Again, NPL is just a balance sheet number. Yeah, yeah, but, but I'm saying just the balance sheet just accumulates what NPL generates, right? So, like, why wouldn't um, what, over time it can it can vary, you know. Um, in the short term, but over time, I would have expected these to be more closely related, right? Because as, as you as you just said, if you have these um, MPLs that, that have been around for three or more years, and you gener- you're constantly like, generating two or three percent cost of risk, and then you're writing off stuff as well, uh, it's just uh, you know, it's not, in your business, like six percent MPLs is not. That higher number, given the consumer focus that you have, but I'm, I'm just curious, like, why is it not more? It's, it's, again, I mean, we don't. I mean, think about we think about NPL as uh, as th- this is for us is not the end of relationship with the consumer, right? So we don't accrue interest rate after 90 days. We we actually stop accruing interest rate, uh, and uh, and 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 as a result, you know, we we work we continue working with the consumers. Uh, so when I when I mentioned that we turned, uh, you know, the portfolio two times uh, during the year, you know, the MPLs are, you know, three-year MPLs on our balance sheet. So we're not selling uh, our portfolios to the third parties. Uh, and and again, you know, our collection uh, is is extremely impressive, but the collection is also very customer-oriented. Uh, so, you know, basically, if you turn the portfolio two times a year with, let's say, I mean, cost of risk of, you know, around 2%, then you book those NPLs on your balance sheet for the whole year, but it's two times turnover of the portfolio. And now if you take three years, this is how you get to, you know, 5 6% NPL. But we treat it as, an, we treat it as a 
still consumer relationship and we work with the consumers. We help them out to go through this process. And, uh, and, and that's why, you know, our collection is so impressive as well. Okay. And then the, the last point on that, sorry to take more time, but just very quickly. So there was some mention about off balance sheet debt getting brought back onto balance sheet. Uh, like what, what, what's the reasoning of why is that happening now? No, it's just uh, the, the, our collection has been constantly improving. So, you know, as a result of changing the right of policy, you know, we believe that, you know, if we, if those NPLs on the balance sheet, they just will de- deliver the, uh, the, the, you know, the better consumer relationship, you know, we can have a more uh, sort of communication with the consumers and things like that because they have developed the cash flow. Again, that's the balance sheet number. And as David explained to you in terms of the, Cash flow, net income, cost of risk, they have been always in the P&L because we, we you know, we, again, we work with the consumers during the whole stage of their relationship with us. Even if, if, if the loan is off balance sheet, we still continue working with those consumers. So it was always in our P&L. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Thank you very much. <clears throat> sure. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Ronak Gadia of EFG Hermes. Ronak, please unmute locally and proceed when you're ready. Uh, thank you. Um, well, congrats again for the results. Um, just maybe a couple of follow-up questions from the, the, the previous callers. Um, so firstly, uh, the first one is on margins on your fintech uh, platform. Is it possible to maybe share what the effective yield is on your buy now, pay later type products versus your traditional, you know, general consumer type uh, loans. Uh, just, you know, just trying to get a sense of where the yield in that, on that ecosystem will eventually stabilize as maybe buy now, late, pay later type loans uh, continue to grow. Um, and then the second one is uh, Caspi gro- uh, e-groceries. Um, so, you know, based on the business model that you just uh, described, uh, how, how does that, um, you know, how does Caspi e groceries, um, uh, uh, how, how, how does that interact now with Magnum on, on a standalone basis? Is, is it is it a competitor or is it, is, you know, is, is it a working relationship? Just trying to understand, you know, the relationship between the two entities now. On the first, the simple answer is no. Um, we don't break out yield on a sort of product by product uh, line, mainly because um, that's just not in actually really how we think and run the business in, in internally. We give you the overall uh, yield. Uh, you know what it was for, for last year. Last year's guidance, incidentally, was around. So you're asking about long run trend. Well, last year's guidance was around 25%. This year's guidance is around 25%. So that doesn't tell you the long run trend, but actually you see it, there's a, a high level, a reasonably high level of consistency there. Um, so that's something you can probably um, take away, but I don't know if we'll go into any more detail than that. And then maybe the second question, competitor or partner, Mikhail? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, partner. So it's a, uh... It's a, it's a, it's, it's a joint, it's a joint project. So, uh, I mean, it's a standalone subsidiary. Clearly, there is a lot of, you know, food retail expertise, uh, the knowledge in the Magnum. We also, there will, the brand Magnum will be 
uh, kept for uh, for e-grocery business. Uh, and again, we have been you know working uh, together for you know year over a year. Uh, and the management teams are extremely comfortable. And uh, I think that uh, that's actually is one of the most important reasons for the long-term success, because this type of joint uh, efforts are not successful when the, there is a different incentives on different uh, company levels and the management teams. And here we're fully aligned. It has been already proven. Uh, so now we're just doubling down on the effort, really, just to just to scale across the country. Um, so yeah, definitely partner. Okay, understood. Just one final uh, question, also so going back to your fintech um, ecosystem. Uh, when I look at the balance sheet uh, at the end of last year, it seemed the balance sheet was quite liquid, quite a lot of uh, assets in cash equivalents or investment securities. Could you just comment on what we should expect uh, from a balance sheet perspective in terms of asset allocation? Uh, going into going into 2023. No major change in terms of asset allocation. Okay. Because your your loan deposit ratio is a bit lower relative to where it has been, uh, you know, historically. So is that something we should expect for you to sustain? It's a bit lower than where it was for. Uh, part of last year. I'm not sure if it's that much lower than where it's um, uh, been historically. I think you'll see it move up and in. You know the nature of our lending. We can ramp up lending very quickly. We can scale back lending very quickly. So we think in terms of short-term, our our lending products are short-term in nature designed to, to drive transactions. So I don't think there's a real fundamental change in either funding or the lending product. I think it's just timing issues if you're looking at it on a quarter-on-quarter basis. Okay, understood. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Candemir of Wood & Co. Uh, can your line be open now if you'd like to unmute locally and proceed with your question? Yes, thank you very much for this presentation. Uh, I, I just had, uh, had a follow-up uh, question on the e-grocery. Um, is it fair to say that Magnum has a different view on the outlook or the profitability outlook in e-grocery business? Because they now only have 10% share in the JV, and I guess they don't they don't have a separate e-grocery product because you will use their brand or the JV will use their brand. Is it is it fair to say that you kind of disagree with Magnum on? what you can make out of e-grocery? <laughs> this is the, it's a very scientific, uh, I don't know, it's a science or I have this, uh, this argument. <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> no, because I, I, I think they wouldn't own 10% of the JD if they were thinking you would, you would make a killing out of that business. Am I, am I right in saying that? The, you know, there's a, you know, over 90% of the of the consumers are delivered from uh, almost 100% consumers delivered from Caspi Superdet and the orders and the whole technology and 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 so you know there is no argument about the both are both are interested. We just believe that with investment and technology, this can be a a huge business. I won't push you more on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, also on travel packages, 
I think the tickets, ticket size will be a bit larger, right? In, in venue, venue finance, travel packages. Does that change your approach to underwriting? Because it feels like you're shifting into a different category, if you will, in lending. Well, I mean, no, because I, I mean, our, uh, our lending is, I mean, the cost of risk is driven not by, uh, it's not driven by what you buy is driven really who you are so and and it will be more of a egg and chicken with the basic situation what i'm saying is that those one million people that are traveling are those that can afford it but again when we originate financing when we make risk decisions we are driven by the risk profile of a consumer we never we never push on on the consumer higher tickets uh, and we don't leverage the consumer, and that's why our cost of risk is so remarkable. So from that perspective, the, the brief answer is no, and actually those people that are traveling to those destinations are the ones that can can actually afford it. Uh, and, and again, you know, we will be also, uh, pe- you know, people are also going with their own financing. So there will be combination of both, you know, I'm spending my own money, or I can take a bit more expensive tour if if Caspi financing me. So we already already done all the tests. I mean, obviously, when we're we're announcing this business, we have done a lot of homework. Of course, of course. My last tricky question. Uh, so David didn't want to break out the loan rates, but it feels like you didn't put up the rates despite the increasing yields, right? So is it fair to say that your lending product compared to your competition is much more compelling now? Is is it a fair thing to say? Um, I'm not sure it's the right way, whether it's fair or not, I'm not sure it's the right way to look at it because I think that our lending product is priced at a level that drives day-to-day transactions. So it is not comparable necessarily with um, what you might regard as a competitor and their uh, unsecured consumer loan products, which are probably larger ticket, longer duration, with a different end purpose in 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 mind. Um, we've always priced at the level we price at because we think it's the right level to drive transaction activity. And I think you see that's pretty evident in the end results um, in the context of the complete ecosystem, which is very different to how a traditional lender would be pricing an unsecured uh, loan in iso- isolation. So nothing's really changed in that regard. Thank you. And we have no further questions registered today, so I'd like to hand back to Mikko and David for any closing remarks. So uh, thank you very much, Harry. Thank you, everyone, for your time uh, today. That wraps up today's call. If you have any follow-up, uh, please feel free to get in touch with us. We hope to meet some of you over the next couple of uh, weeks. Uh, Thanks again and speak to you at our Q1 numbers. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's webinar. You may now disconnect from the call.